Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. You know, when you find out who somebody really is, it can change the way you live. Um, When I was a student in Bible college, I was kind of your typical Bible college student, right? Um, I was like, you know, I'm five foot eight. I'm a little bit of a geek, kind of a bookworm. So I had like a a moderate amount of book smarts and zero street smarts, if you know what I'm talking about, which is pretty typical for Bible college. And as I was like going through classes and getting into the groove of school, in one of my classes, I met this guy who was definitely not your stereotypical Bible college student. He was like a man's man, you know, and he was like, he's older than me and he was bald and he had a gravelly voice from a lifetime of cigarettes and he had muscles in places that I didn't even have places, okay? <laughs> you catch my drift? And, and his name was Curtis King. And Curtis and I, we quickly became friends and the more I found out about Curtis King, the more awesome he became. I found out that Curtis's day job was training bird dogs and selling them, which I I thought was awesome. And his side hustle was helping run this organization where they take veterans out on these big long hunting trips to kind of help them process their PTSD and stuff. And that was close to Curtis's heart because I also found out that Curtis himself was a veteran, that he'd served 20 years in the military. And for his first 10 years in the military, Curtis was a sniper in the Green Berets, like just a bad dude, if you know what I mean. And, and we hit it off, we became good buddies and he would take me deer hunting and he helped me get my first deer and all that, which like, if you're going to go deer hunting, going with a special forces sniper is not a bad setup. You know what I mean? And he was just this, he's a super entertaining guy to be around. He could tell a story with the best of them. But I also like didn't hear very many of his stories because he'd been a lot of places and done a lot of stuff that he like wasn't allowed to talk about, you know, but you could pick up clues here and there. All I know is that when he cussed, he cussed in Arabic. And that just, that tells me something. Okay. And so he spent his first 10 years as a sniper in the Green Berets, and he spent his last 10 years in the military as a helicopter pilot. And he'd flown, uh, flown medevac in the Middle East, and he had all kinds of great helicopter stories, you know. But the biggest story he told was that one night they were flying this training exercise. And he was the lead helicopter, and it was dark. And as they're flying, this helicopter next to him got too close and accidentally clipped his tail rotor. They all, they, both helicopters crashed, and all 30 people between both helicopters died, except for Curtis. He was the pilot of the lead helicopter, and when they hit the ground, the stick jammed him below his chin. And so now for the rest of his life, he has seizures. It ended his flying career. He can never fly again. It ended his career in the military, but it kick-started his career in ministry. God used that helicopter crash to get a hold of Curtis, and he decided to go into ministry, and we met at Bible College, and that's where our stories intersected. And my life changed when Curtis King became my friend. Like when you have a guy like that on speed dial and in your most recent text conversations, it changes the way that little old homeschooled 5'8", 160 pound wannabe preacher boy Luke looks at the world, right? 
Then I would like get into a situation where normally I would be squirming a little bit, but listen, I, I got Curtis on speed dial now. I'm, I'm swaggering a little bit and it ain't because of who I am, it's because of who Curtis is, right? Uh, one time, Curtis and I, we spent a week together in the Ozark Mountains and, and we were roughing it. We didn't even take tents. We just took tarps and we had our packs and we lugged all our food with us and we had canoes and we canoed miles and miles and miles down these rivers and hiked up one mountain and down another one. It was an incredible week. And like, I'm talking like at dusk in the sunset, we saw these herds of wild horses like streaking through the forest, an amazing experience. The only problem with the trip was that it rained and hailed and snowed almost the whole week. And so we're out there and it's kind of miserable, but we were trying our best to have a good time. And the catch was that we had one pill bottle full of matches that was supposed to last us the whole week. And we're way out in the middle of nowhere. And this is the fires that we're going to use to keep ourselves warm and to cook our food. One pill bottle full of matches. And it's raining all week long. Now listen, little Bible college Luke, if I'm on my own in the wilderness with a pill bottle full of matches in a rainstorm, I'm just telling you, I'd probably be getting a little nervous. But I've got Curtis King with me. And this is not even like a preacher exaggeration. I watched this dude strike a match on his teeth (laughs) and light a fire in a torrential downpour. Like he's a bad man, all right? (laughs) I'm just telling you, when Curtis King's your friend, it changes how you live. When you find out who somebody really is, it can change the way you live. And my experience with Curtis King is a little bit like the experience that the disciples had with Jesus in our text for the day. We're gonna be in Mark chapter nine. And my hope for you is that maybe this is the experience you're gonna have with Jesus today too. As you open to Mark nine, let me catch you up on where we have been. Like Kyle mentioned, we're in this series walking through the gospel according to Mark, where this guy named Mark records for us some stories from the life of Jesus. We spent the first half of the year in the first half of the gospel of Mark, chapters one through eight. And last week we said, you can summarize chapters one through eight by saying Jesus is the Christ. That's the whole point. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one true king. And all throughout those first eight chapters, we saw Jesus doing all kinds of miracles to establish his authority over demons and to establish his authority over nature and to establish his authority over disease and to establish his authority even over death, proving over and over again, Jesus is the Christ. He's the one true king. And it culminates with that great moment at the end of Mark chapter eight, where Peter says, yes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the one true king. And then last week we picked back up and now we're spending the rest of the year walking through the latter half of the gospel of Mark, chapters nine through 16. And you could summarize the back half by saying, the Christ is headed for a cross. The yeah, sure, Jesus is the Christ. He is the king, but he's not the king that you expected. Jesus was telling them at the end of chapter eight, hey, I'm a king who came not to kill, but a king who came to die. And that's gonna be the rest of the gospel of Mark. And it was hard for his followers to understand. And so it's right after Jesus has gotten done telling them that, that we pick it up today in Mark chapter nine, starting in verse two. Here's what happens. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses 
who were talking with Jesus. So Peter, James, and John, Jesus, they're up on this mountain together and Jesus is transfigured. The Greek word means transformed or morphed. He just like starts shining like the sun. And then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah show up. And you might remember Moses and Elijah. They were Bible heroes from the Old Testament before Jesus was born. Moses was the lawgiver. He was the guy that God used to rescue the people from slavery in Egypt. Through Moses, God sent the 10 plagues on Egypt, part of the Red Sea. Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the 10 commandments, brings the law back down to the people. And Elijah was the greatest of all of the prophets. Now, scripture tells us that Elijah was a man just like us. He was a normal dude. He didn't have superpowers, except that he prayed. He prayed. Elijah prayed and a drought came on the land. Elijah prayed and God sent fire from heaven. Elijah prayed and God sent rain. Elijah prayed and God raised the dead. And so here we have Moses and Elijah. And I don't know how Peter, James, and John recognized that it was Moses and Elijah, but you can imagine the topics they're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, when I walk through the Red Sea. And And Peter, he's pretty excited about this, but this is more than just some great Bible hero story time mountaintop hangout. God has a very specific reason for why he sent Moses and Elijah to meet up with Jesus. Look what happens. It says this in verse five. Peter said to Jesus, hey, Rabbi, it's it's good for us to be here. Let's, uh, Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. (laughs) They were so frightened. Now, uh, Peter sees Jesus shining like the sun. He sees these Bible heroes that he's read about his whole life, Moses and Elijah, and he is speechless. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't stay speechless, right? Mark says he did not know what to say. Now, when you don't know what to say, what should you say? Nothing, right? Unfortunately, that's not Peter's MO. So he's like, oh, guy's got an idea. How about Jesus, you build a fort and Moses builds a fort and Elijah builds a fort and we could just like camp out up here and hang out together. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, like Peter has this reputation for being the guy who's gonna take his foot, insert it into his mouth. And he has earned that reputation. He talks way too much, but he's not dumb. And so we don't know what Peter's referring to. Maybe he's referring to the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles where they build tents outside to celebrate the Exodus. Maybe he's saying, we need to build a shelter to shelter us from God's glory that's shining through you, Jesus. Nobody can behold God's glory and live. Or maybe, maybe Peter is giving Jesus the best compliment he can think of. Maybe he's saying, Jesus, I mean, what, this is just so amazing. You are on par here with Moses and Elijah. That's the best compliment that a Jewish boy could give. They're the greatest Bible heroes they've got. And yet, all of a sudden, something happens to show Peter, actually, it's not good enough. Take a look, starting in verse seven. It says, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. (laughs) Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, um, Here's your little fun fact for the day, okay? After Jesus rises from the dead later on and the apostles, it's like the early church in the book of Acts. Um, In Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching to these people and the sermon's just kind of going on and on and on and on. It's a long sermon if you read it. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what that feels like, right? And, And the Holy Spirit actually falls on the audience and interrupts Peter's sermon. Like the Holy Spirit cuts off Peter's preaching, okay? 
Now remember our text from last week in Mark chapter 8 where Peter pulls Jesus aside and he says, hey, Jesus, man, you gotta stop talking about dying on the cross. No king is gonna die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And now here we are where Peter's rambling about tents on the mountaintop and God the Father speaks down and tells Peter to be quiet. Did you catch what that is? That means if you read scripture, we see Peter gets interrupted by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity says, Peter, zip it, dude. (laughs) Listen up, man. And you think he'd get the point, right? Because the point is this. God says, hey, Peter, this one's my son. Jesus, listen to him. Maybe that's what God wants to say to you today. Listen to Jesus because Moses and Elijah disappear and Jesus is the only one left. In other words, Moses and Elijah, they were just forerunners to Jesus. All the law, all the prophets, they were pointing to this and now the one true king is here. You see, here's why that's important. Because look at what happens next in verse nine. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Now, for us, we're like, rising from the dead means rising from the dead, dude. What'd you think it meant? But this just shows you that Jesus had said over and over, guys, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise. And it just wasn't on their radar. They just couldn't understand. And so God knows here that Peter and James and John are about to see some things that are gonna make them doubt. They don't get that Jesus is gonna have to go to the cross. They're gonna see Jesus be mocked and arrested and beaten and scorned and whipped and drugged through the streets and nailed to a tree and executed. And in that moment, God knows that Peter, James, and John are gonna be tempted to wonder, man, was was he really the Messiah? How, How could that dead man hanging on a cross be the one true king? And so to prepare them for that moment, God gives them this moment on the mountain to show them who Jesus really is. Because if you just look at Jesus at face value, he just looks like an ordinary Galilean carpenter. The prophet Isaiah says he wasn't much to look at. And yet when you see somebody for who they really are, it changes how you live. And so Jesus gives them here a glimpse of who he really is. They catch a snapshot, just a tiny little bit of the blazing, holy glory of God shining through Jesus on the mountain. And listen, Peter, James, and John, they were good little Jewish boys. When they see Jesus shining like the sun, they know exactly what that means. They would have thought about Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel says, as I looked, the ancient of days, that's God, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. When Jesus' clothes are shining, they know whose clothes shine like that. They would have remembered Psalm 104, verse two, that says the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. When they see Jesus' face radiating with supernova brilliance, they would have remembered the blessing that Moses pronounced over the people in Moses chapter six, the Lord make his face shine on you. When they catch a glimpse of the glory of God, the lesson they're supposed to learn is that this Jesus you're following is not just any old Galilean carpenter. Jesus is God. This is just a snapshot of the glory that he has had from eternity past and that he will continue to have into eternity future. Jesus is God. And to Peter, James, and John's credit, 
I think they got the message. John would later write this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He'd say, hey, this is the message we'd heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Listen, John says, I've seen it. Peter would write this to the early church. He'd say, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. He's saying like, I saw it with my own two eyes. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter said, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. They have tasted and they have seen that Jesus is the one true king, that he is God. And if that's true, when you find out who somebody really is, shouldn't that change how you live? I mean, if it's true that Jesus is God and that he's the one true king and that he really is with you, you've got a king beside you who's so much greater than Curtis King. Well, shouldn't that change us? Uh, There's a wonderful old African-American preacher by the name of S.M. Lockridge, and he describes the glory of King Jesus, this king who is with us. And listen, I cannot preach like S.M. Lockridge, but I'm gonna try, okay? Will you bear with me this morning? He says this. He says, my king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews, that's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel, that's a national king. He's the king of righteousness, he's the king of the ages, he's the king of heaven, he's the king of glory, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now that's my king, I wonder if you know him. Do you know my king? He's enduringly strong, he's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's imperially powerful, he's impartially merciful, that's my king. He's God's son, he's the sinner's savior, he's the centerpiece of civilization, he stands alone in himself, he's honest, he's unique, he's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he is supreme, he's preeminent, he's the grandest idea in literature, he is the highest personality in philosophy, he is the supreme problem of higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historical theology and he is the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything that is good that you could possibly choose to call him. He's the only one who is able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who keeps and who guards and who guides all people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Well, my king, he says, my king is a king of knowledge. 
knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance and the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He is the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislature and he's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors and the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. That is my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes and his word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Oh, I wish I could describe him to you, but he is indescribable. That's my king. And I'm coming to tell you this, that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. And Pilate couldn't find any fault in him and Herod couldn't kill him and the witnesses couldn't get their testimony straight about him, but death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't handle him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. He has no predecessor and he will have no successor. There was nobody before him and there will be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's our king and his is the kingdom and his is the power and his is the glory forever and ever and ever and all of God's people said. So when you find out who somebody really is, shouldn't that change how you live? Like, if Jesus is God, if he's the one true king. You remember my story about Curtis King uh, back from the very beginning. How when you find out who somebody really is, it can change how you live. Well, that same year that I met Curtis, I spent a summer living in Africa. And I had flown over there to be with a missionary friend of mine for the summer. And I'd never been out of the country before, 19 years old, flying over there all by myself. And I had these big boxes of computers with me. We were going to trek them across the desert to this little village and try to set up a library. And so I flew into Niger there on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert. And I had all my boxes of computers. But something happened to cut. I guess they thought I looked sketchy or something. I had like long hair and a little creepy mustache back then, you know. I don't blame them. But all I know is they drug me and my stuff down this long hallway into this dark back room and there's soldiers in there with automatic rifles yelling at me in a language I don't understand. And I'm thinking, you know, I didn't Take a class in Bible college about how to survive hostile negotiations in sketchy places. <laughs> and I think I've seen this movie before, and I, I don't think it ended well. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I was squirming a little bit. Now, if Curtis King had been sitting right next to me, do you think that would have changed my outlook on the situation? Yeah, you better believe it. So if King Jesus is next to you, don't you think that should change how you live? Especially when you're in a pickle. Because that's what the disciples faced when they walked down the mountain. Let's pick it up here in verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I want to pause right here because some of you in the room were in a really hard season. You were in a tough situation and you came to Jesus' followers for help. You came to the church and the church failed you. And for that, I'm sorry. Uh, the church is the bride of Christ. She's beautiful. She is wonderful. And Jesus working through the church is the hope of the world. I've given my life to that. But the bride of Christ has some warts. <laughs> and, and for some of you, you have been tempted to give up on Jesus because Jesus' followers failed you. And if you follow Jesus here at Plainfield Christian Church for long enough, I won't make you very many promises, but the one I'll make you is that if you stick around here long enough, we will fail you, I promise. I will let you down, but Jesus never will. And I'll bet my life on that. And so he says, bring, bring the boy to me. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you today. Just, hey, just, just come to me. And so pick it up in verse 20. Look at what happens when they do. It says, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Man, that's my prayer so often. God, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So Jesus says to his disciples, hey, it's not about having the exact right words and the perfect incantations. Your failure to cast out this demon was not a failure of methodology or linguistics. It wasn't a failure of technique. And if you're coming in here this morning and you're dragging because your faith is just not working and you're trying to live the Christian life and you're exhausted and you feel like you're, don't go, you're not going anywhere and you've listened to every podcast and every worship album, you've tried every self-help book and you've tried every Bible reading plan and every group available and you are just worn out. Jesus says, bring it to me. He says to his disciples specifically, he says, try prayer. Um, because at the top of the mountain, Peter, James, and John learned that Jesus is God. And at the bottom of the mountain, they learned that if Jesus is God, then prayer is the plan. 
If Jesus is God, then prayer is the plan. We've said this before over and over again, that our greatest obstacle is not the wickedness of the world, but the prayerlessness of the church. Like if Jesus is really God, if he's really the king, then our greatest obstacle is not the wickedness of the world, it's the prayerlessness of the church. And that's convicting for me. Maybe you remember that story later on in Acts chapter three, after Jesus has died and rose from the dead, Peter and John are walking around, they're doing ministry there in Jerusalem where there's this crippled guy who says, hey, can I have some money? And, and Peter stops and he looks right at that crippled man and in Acts chapter three, verse six, he says, listen, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man stands up and it's a miracle and he's healed in the name of Jesus. It's this incredible story. Well, a few hundred years after that, St. Dominic was a monk who had taken a vow of poverty. And one time St. Dominic went to Rome to go visit the Pope there. And the Pope was giving Dominic a tour of the city of Rome and the Vatican. And he was showing him all the storehouses of all the vast treasures that belonged to the church, all the money and all the silver and all the gold. And the, the Pope turned to Dominic and he said, you see, Peter can no longer say silver and gold I do not have. And Dominic said, yes, but neither can he say, rise up and walk. And that's convicting for me because I know my heart. I know how easily I can become distracted by the comings and goings of life and putting together my own little plans. And I can become so self-reliant based on the tangible things, the schedules and to-do lists and, and, and the dollars that I can end up just skimming my way across the surface of life and missing out on the depth and the power and the beauty of what God has in store for us through prayer. But if Jesus is God, then prayer is the plan. Because when you find out who somebody really is, it should change how you live. And you have a king who's so much wiser and more gracious and more available and glorious than you have possibly imagined. And right now, at this very moment, the ears of heaven are tuned, listening for the sound of your voice, standing ready to hear and to answer you when you pray. And so my invitation to you today is just to pray. Just to pray. Man, if you're here and if you're being totally honest this morning, like regardless of where you are on your faith journey, but you're, you're finding this a little bit hard to buy, a little bit hard to believe. Or maybe you had a season that you were spiritually alive, but if you're honest right now, your heart has just kind of grown dry and you're feeling stale and your soul is a little bit shriveled up and you wanna get back there, but you don't know how then maybe your prayer today is the same prayer as that dad. God, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. At the end of the service, um, after the sermon is over, the prayer team is gonna be gathered around the edges of the room like they always are with their green lanyards on. And the elders are gonna be there too. Some of the elders are gonna be there and they have anointing oil with them. Now, anointing oil is not like magical healing juice, okay? Um, but it is a way of we put a little dab of oil on you as we pray for you to kind of set you apart for God's special care. That's a scriptural command. James chapter five says that if you have a physical weakness or if you're spiritually weak, you should come and ask the elders of the church to pray for you and anoint you with oil because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And my favorite thing about our elders is that we are led by a group of men that is fiercely committed to prayer and fasting and they love to pray for you guys and they would love the opportunity to pray for you today face to face and so I don't know what it is that you need prayer for today maybe there's a prayer that you've wanted to pray but you've been a little too scared to pray it because what if God doesn't answer 
Or maybe there's a person in your life who's wandering away. Or maybe it is just a real physical hardship that you don't know what to do and you've got no plan. But what if prayer was the plan? We would love to pray for you today. And if you need to come back to Jesus or give your life to Jesus for the first time, I mean, let's make it today because he's the king and he deserves your allegiance. Let me tell you one more story. Um, Back in the 1800s, it was a spiritual uh, dry season in America. There was a lot going on in the mid-1800s. Gold had been discovered out in California, so everybody's moving out to the Wild West, and they're building railroads right and left, and we're kind of right in the middle of the Industrial Revolution, so everybody's chasing the dollar and all those kinds of things. Alcoholism was running rampant. Slavery was threatening to tear the country apart, and it was a spiritual low point in the history of our country. Faith across the board had diminished. In our text today... Jesus said, oh, you unbelieving generation. And that could have been said about America in the mid-1800s. But in 1857, there was a businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear who decided that he was going to move to New York City as a missionary. And he's just a normal dude, and he didn't have a great plan. He just knew he wanted to reach New York City for Jesus. And so Jeremiah Lanfear moved to New York City, and he didn't exactly have a great strategy, but he knew that, well, if Jesus is God, then prayer is the plan. And so he took some of his own money and he started printing out these pamphlets and he put pamphlets all over New York City advertising a time to come and pray together. He was gonna hold a prayer meeting on September 23rd, 1857. They would meet at noon so all the businessmen could come together and pray over their lunch hour. And the day came, September 23rd, 1857, for the first prayer meeting and Jeremiah Lane Fear went to the designated meeting place and he sat there and he prayed all by himself for 30 minutes. Minute after minute after minute, he prayed all by himself. And then after about 30 minutes, one straggler came walking in the door and then another one and then another one. And it wasn't a big group. Just six people got together to pray there on that day. And they got done after praying for about half an hour and decided, well, I guess we'll meet again next week to pray. And so the next week, 20 people came to their prayer meeting. And then the week after that, 40 people came and they decided, well, maybe we should start praying every day instead of every week. And so they started getting together to pray every day. And that very next week was October the 14th, 1857, which was up until that point, the worst financial crisis in American history. The market crashed. They didn't have a Federal Reserve. Banks were closing. People were scrambling. People losing jobs. Families starting to go hungry. Nobody knew what to do. So people just showed up to pray. All across New York City, lawyers, doctors, merchants, clerks, bankers, mechanics, they just showed up to pray together over the lunch hour, day after day after day. Eventually, all across the city, at every lunch hour, thousands and thousands of people were gathering to pray. And this became known as the businessman's revival because it wasn't led by professional ministers. It was led by everyday working people who had real day jobs. They just felt like if Jesus was the king, we should pray about the spiritual health of what's going on around here. And I love that Jeremiah Lane Fear, when he printed those pamphlets, he did it with his own money. And as I'm thinking about this story this week, I'm thinking, man, what if one of you guys did that? What if one of you said, you know what? I'm going to spend $50,000 of my own money on a social media campaign to unite the business leaders of Hendricks County in prayer. I think that would be awesome. 
And they got together to pray and, and, and God blessed this and, and a magical, like mystical, like work of the Holy Spirit broke out and people started giving their lives to Jesus. And there are stories written down. You can really go read this of immigrants who were coming into the harbor there in New York City, sailing to America for the very first time. And they were hit with such a wave of the Holy Spirit's presence and power and conviction that there on the deck of the boats, they fell down and they started repenting of their sins and praying and giving their lives to Jesus before they ever even hit the shore. The population of the country was around 30 million at that time, but at the height of that revival in New York City alone, 10,000 people a week were giving their lives to Jesus. And over the course of, of that revival, over a million people joined the churches. It changed the trajectory of our country. Now, can you imagine what those first six people must have felt in that first prayer meeting? It was probably like every other prayer meeting where it's a little bit awkward, like who's gonna start and who's gonna finish and I don't exactly know what to say and I don't even really know who you are, you know? And they didn't know what would happen. They just knew that if Jesus is God, then prayer is the plan. Jeremiah Lane Fear on those booklets and pamphlets he passed out, on one of them he wrote this. He said, what has prayer done? Prayer has divided seas and rolled up flowing rivers and made flinty rocks gush into fountains. Quenched flames of fire, muzzled lions, disarmed vipers and poisonous snakes, marshaled the stars against the wicked. Prayer, he says, has stopped the course of the moon and arrested the rapid sun in his great race, burst open iron gates, recalled souls from eternity, conquered the strongest devils, commanded legions of angels down from heaven. Prayer, he says, has bridled and changed the raging passions of man, routed and destroyed vast armies of proud, daring, blustering atheists. Prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the sea and carried another up to heaven in a chariot of fire. What has prayer not? done so brother do you pray and that's just the question I want to leave you with brother do you pray sister do you pray let's pray together our father in heaven I feel a little bit like that dad uh, that God we believe this man we we believe that your son Jesus rose from the dead. We believe, we believe that you are the same God who parted the Red Sea for Moses and brought fire from heaven for Elijah and transfigured Jesus on the mountain and rose Jesus from the dead on the third day. We believe these things. We believe that even now our words aren't just bouncing off the ceiling, but you're actually listening to us. And yet you also see what's in my heart that like there's... We have doubt and we have weakness and we have prayers that we want to pray, but we're scared to pray because we don't know how you're going to answer. And so we just say together, Lord, we believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. God, my prayer for, for this church, for my brothers and sisters in this room, is that we would be a people devoted to prayer and that you would just awaken our souls to you and that you would do such a mighty work in and through us to reach this community for your glory that people would look at Plainfield Christian Church and they'd say, wow, Jesus is the one true king. And Father, um, for those in the room today who need to be prayed for, um, who are weak in faith, who are struggling, 
Um, but there's some stigma, like how do I get up and go to the prayer team? Are people gonna think my life is messed up, all that? Like, would you just get rid of all that, Lord, please? And just give us the courage to trust you because we believe that you are God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. We're gonna stand and we're gonna worship our King together and the elders in the prayer team will be gathered around the perimeter of the room. Hey, let's be people of prayer. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.